0: Good morning. I I need to stop, like, I I come and stand up here because I have to, I I need to be up here when Larry tells me that the live stream starts, but as soon as I stand up here, everybody stops talking, and then when you guys stop talking, and I'm just standing up here by myself, and I'm not talking, it's very awkward for me at least, so I need to, like, time this better so I get up here right when Larry's telling me that it's uh, time to go, I'm glad that you're here. Could you guys do me a favor and sign the guest registers at the end of your aisle and pass that down so other people can sign it too? Um, Just a couple quick things. One is that we're not having new members class tonight. So um, uh, if you've been coming to that, uh, plan on taking the night off, that's an observance of, uh, yes, that's right, High Holy Day. There are things that are more important than learning about Jesus. And one of those things is football. That's total sarcasm and a little bit of a, an aggressive dig at our culture, but uh, it is nice to, it's nice for us all to get the night off and people not have to make the choice between am I going to come to new members class or watch the Super Bowl. So we won't, and also next week we we aren't going to be meeting either for new members class for reasons that Jen Weber is going to tell us about in a few minutes. Uh, Next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday service, so Lent is already here. We we will have service here on um, Ash Wednesday at 7 o'clock uh, with uh, the imposition of the ashes. And also, every Wednesday after that, up until Holy Week, we'll have uh, midweek Lent services. So, and we'll tell you more about that as we're getting close. That'll be on 7, seven o'clock on Wednesday evenings. Okay, I have t- uh, two special friends who are going to come and make announcements. Cheryl Schnicker's going to come and talk about uh, the marriage retreat. And then when she's done, Jen's going to come and talk about um, our fellowship event next Sunday evening.
1: Good morning. So I actually have two things to talk about. One is a big thank you to everyone that participated in the card shower. Um, I received a note back from one of the recipients, one of our members who received the cards, and their heart was just filled. Because since they can't be in person, they feel a little disconnected a lot of times. And just knowing that we are praying for them, missing them, and loving them really fills their hearts. So thank you very much for everyone who did that. Um, secondly, the marriage retreat. Marriage retreat is March 10th and 11th. Tomorrow is the deadline if you want to participate. If we don't have enough participants, unfortunately, we'll have to cancel, which is not overall a terrible thing, because we could always offer it on a Saturday uh, instead of an overnight. But. Uh, We do have a number of people who have signed up and who would really like to participate. So if you're on the fence or just uh, really thinking that you'd like to do it but haven't yet had a chance to fill out a registration form, please see me today or give me a call in the office tomorrow and I can help you with that.
2: Okay, next Sunday is St. James' first annual chili cook-off. It's going to be super, super fun. Super, get it? Super. If you all don't know, Pastor Aaron loves puns, so everybody think of one for the day for him. He'll really love that. He's going to turn off my mic, isn't he? Okay, so next Sunday we're going to have a game night. We've done that before. It was great fun, so bring a game. If you don't have any games, don't worry, I have plenty, and I'm going to bring lots. Hopefully the Molden Hours will bring all theirs as well. He has a thumbs up, so that'll be great. Last time we just kind of laid out games, and people went from game to game. If you don't like games, it's okay. You can just sit and chat, or you can just sit and have your chili. So bring um, a chili, your favorite chili. Max Weber's gonna be bringing his favorite. So it's very good. And so we'll taste the chilies. If you don't like chili or you don't have a chili recipe, no worries, bring a different soup, as is my mom. She's gonna bring her famous tortellini soup that you all will love. If you don't have any soups or chilies you like, no worries bring some brownies or some cookies. If you don't bake, no worries, just stop by Walmart on the way in. If you don't have money, don't worry, just come. So we would love to have everyone. If you're thinking, oh, Sunday nights are so tough with my kids and getting ready for the week, no worries, no school on Monday, which is why I planned it on this day. I have thought and thought of all the reasons people may not wanna come, and I have thought of them all. If you are worried about your kids, no worries. Tina Inky from far away, she'll be back next week, is having childcare. So I think we have thought of it all. Bring your soup or chili in a crock pot. If you don't have a crock pot, don't worry. We have extras downstairs. Starts at five o'clock, it will be great fun.
3: What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all knowing, he counts not their sum thrown into our sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they
0: Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserved your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy. And for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I announce the grace of God to all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. From Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let's burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Glory to God in the highest and on Earth. Peace to people of good will. We praise you, we bless you, we worship you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. O oh Lord God, King of Heaven, Father Almighty, Lord Jesus Christ, the one and only Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. And have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, are most high in the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading of Sir Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, To give them, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, Revelation eleven is the revelation reading. Let me just remind you where we're at. We're in the middle of the seven trumpets. Uh, We read last week about the first five trumpets, trumpets which brought uh, plague and devastation and warfare. We're right in the middle of the sixth trumpet, and then this happens: um, the sixth and seventh, the end of the sixth trumpet, and then the seventh trumpet happened in Revelation eleven. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky so that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony... The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, Because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them. And they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 5. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, this is right in the middle of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser "'while you are going with him to court, "'lest your accuser hand you over to the judge "'and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. "'Truly I say to you, you will never get out "'until you've paid the last penny. "'You've heard that it was said, "'You shall not commit adultery. "'But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman "'with lustful intent has already committed adultery "'with her in his heart. "'If your right eye causes you to sin, "'tear it out and throw it away.' And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's His footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great King. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Please stay standing for the sermon hymn. To Revelation 11, and let's continue thinking about and looking at what God has to say about these seven trumpets. The seven trumpets, like the seven seals and like the seven bowls, they tell a complete story of how God is dealing with humankind. And so, so you can actually, if, if you like, and they're, they're highly symbolic, so sometimes it's is difficult. You could sum up, you could take the seven trumpets and sum up all of church history in the seven trumpets, not in detail, it doesn't tell you details happen, but tells you basically what's going on between the forces of the enemy and the forces of God in church history. And so last week we talked about um, all these plagues that's happened in, in the seven trumpets, uh, the first, uh, sorry, the first six trumpets, and how the, the plagues of, e- the plagues that God did on Egypt happen today. And just like with Egypt, there are calls for us, for me to repent. It's not that there are floods and sicknesses and wars and those sorts of things and God is judging the bad people out there. God is judging me. He wants me to repent. I'm partially at fault along with the rest of us for the bad things that have happened to the world. I was reminded this week of, of um, um, a, a London newspaper paper back about 100 years ago uh, ran a series of essays that were designed to describe it, all these different thinkers were asked to contribute an essay to talk about what's wrong with the world today. And G.K. Chesterton, the great Catholic thinker, was also asked to contribute. And he just simply sent in a letter that said, "Uh, Gentlemen, I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? I am. That's what's wrong with the world. That's a biblical way to think. So now we come to actually, what is the church doing during church history? That's what the sixth trumpet is about. There's warfare at the beginning. But now we see these two witnesses. And it's a very, very, it's a short story, a very highly symbolic what I want you to do is try to grasp kind of just the overall picture of what's happening. I'm gonna to try to unpack some of the details which help the picture forward, but also encourage you if you have questions to come down to Bible study afterwards where I'm gonna uh, talk about more. I have a, a huge chunk of my notes here devoted to some of the details in here and I'm gonna to have to, when I get to that point, I was telling Harry and Kate this morning, I'm gonna to have to play it by ear and see like how uh, quickly I'm making it through this stuff and how much I can afford to leave out and how much uh, you know, to, to save for Bible study and how much to give you this morning. But let's talk about uh, these uh, two witnesses and just r- remind you again that um, heaven and earth are intersected. Uh, you can see that in verses uh, verse one. Uh, John is given a measuring rod like a staff and is told, rise and measure the temple of God. Well, you've already seen the temple of God in chapters four and five. That's where the throne room of God is at and where the lamb is who was slain is there being worshipped. But then you can see that it's not all worshipers there. It's the, verse 2, don't measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out for it's given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for two months. So the, the world where God and his people are being attacked and heaven where God is, sit, God is enthroned and being worshipped by his people actually overlap and interlock. They're not two separate places. They're actually together. This morning, again, to repeat myself from several weeks ago, this morning is an example of that. Where are we right now? Are we on earth? Are we in the throne room of God? Are we in heaven? Well, the answer is yes, we're both, both places. Because wherever Jesus is, we are. Jesus is here this morning gathered with his people. If two or three of you are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. Jesus is also at the right hand of the Father. That means that we're at the right hand of the Father worshiping around the throne. Same thing's going on here. Also, um, let's Let's just work through here. So he's given a measuring rod. John's given a measuring rod and said said to measure the temple of God. Okay. You guys will have noticed, like in chapters four and five, the temple of God is a key player in the book of Revelation. It keeps on coming up over and over. So let me give you the 30-second version of the history of God's temple. God abandons Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden because they rebel, He's not present. He decides, though, in Exodus, I'm going to come back and I'm going to live with my people. Build me a tabernacle and I will come and live on earth again. I will interlock heaven and earth, wherever the tabernacle is. God comes and lives in the tabernacle. Later on, he lives in the temple that Solomon builds, which is the tabernacle just in a brick and mortar form. But God, in the 6th century BC, abandons his temple again because God's people rebel against him. The Babylonians come. They blow up the temple. God's people are sent into exile. One of the prophets there, Ezekiel, answers the question, how could God let his temple be destroyed? And the answer is, is because we rebelled and God abandoned his temple. But at the end of Ezekiel's really long prophecy, he's given this vision in Ezekiel 40 and 48 of this new, brand spanking new, rebuilt, perfect temple built in Jerusalem. And in that vision that Ezekiel sees, there's an angelic figure who's walking around measuring out like an architect measuring out the dimensions of the temple in other words it's guaranteed going to be built the temple of god will be rebuilt ezekiel says well harry he comes and he tries to be, he re- rebuilds the temple building but everybody kind of agrees it's kind of lame we don't really think that god's living there why do we think that god's living there well because the romans are still in charge and if god was living in his temple the romans would be gone and our king the messiah king whoever that's going to be would be in charge Jesus comes along and says, Guess what, guys? I'm actually the temple. Destroy me, and in three days, the temple will be rebuilt. Later on, Paul goes on to explain what that means for me and you. I know this is very fast, there's a lot, very, very dense. There's more details here than I'm giving you. What does it mean for me and you that Jesus is the temple? Here's what Paul says Paul says, For those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who are gathered around the throne of the Lamb right now, you are the temple. You are the temple of God, not the building here, although it's nice to meet indoors this morning. You guys are the temple of God. You are the place where God has chosen to dwell. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you guys are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by this, that's what the temple is. It's a dwelling place for God. You guys are the place that by the power of the Spirit, God dwells in, God dwells in. You are the temple. So going back to a Revelation 11, this is that we are the temple of God. We are the place where God dwells. And the world outside is putting pressure on the temple, fighting against the temple. If, if you are uh, one of John's original readers, you know exactly what this language is. It's, it's happened several times throughout your history as a Jew that God's people have been holed up in the temple complex while the pagan forces are outside trying to beat down the doors to get in. And God tells John, they won't be able to trample it. They won't be able to trample it, although they're gonna try. All right, that, that, that kind of sets us up. I'm, we're gonna do three things this morning f- from this text. I'm gonna point out to you the witness of the church, the way the church is witnessing to Jesus Christ, the way the church is suffering for Jesus Christ, that's the second thing, and then the victory that the church has. Through Jesus Christ. That's the third thing. You know, the first point, the, the first one, uh, the, the, the witness of Jesus Christ is the longest point. And, and I realize too, this is, so some of you don't like symbolism. Those of you, you English majors and art majors out there, you'll like this. Those of you who are like, just tell me what it means. This will be a little bit difficult. So just hang in, hang in there with me and try, I'm going to talk real fast this morning because um, these sermons are, are again, progressively longer and longer every week. And I, uh, the Super Bowl is happening tonight. And church has to be done by the time the Super Bowl starts. So uh, let me talk fast here. The church will faithfully bear witness during church history. The church will faithfully, that's its job, is to faithfully bear witness to who Jesus is during church history. Look at verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they, their witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So I'm going to argue in a second, and I'm not going to do a very good job of it because I have to leave a bunch of details out, that the two witnesses are actually the Christian church. I know, for those of you who grew up in dispensational church like I did, if you didn't grow up in there, I'm going to give you 15 seconds to mentally take a break and sleep. I'll tell you when I'm done. If you did grow up in dispensationalist church, these two witnesses are seen as like these actually two literal prophetic figures who will come back someday, will be killed on live television, Hal Lindsey told us, and then raised up from the dead on live television. It's not what's going on here. Revelation, super symbolic. This is actually the Christian church. I'll talk about why in just a second. They're bearing faithful witness. They're prophesying, verse three says. And what's happening is, is they're not fighting back. They're clothed in sackcloth too. They're faithfully bearing witness, but they're not attacking the world. This is not a a contest of political power Or military power. It's not the church's job to take the world over. It's the church's job to faithfully bear witness to who Jesus is and then let Jesus do the conquering however he sees fit. One of the ways he sees fit is suffering. We'll get to that in just a second. But side, side, come back, non dispensationalists come back to the conversation. Sorry, I I forgot to let you back in the door there. Uh, You're free to come back in now. Why this specific amount of time? Why is it said that the church is gonna bear witness for, what does it say, uh, 42 months in verse two and then 1,260 days in verse three? If you're good at math, you'll know that those are the same thing. 1,260 days, 42 months is three and a half years. So why is it three and a half years that the church is bearing witness? These two witnesses are bearing witness. Okay, uh, First, we have to ask who they are, and then we'll talk about the time. Who are the two witnesses? In, this, in, in, in Revelation 11. And the answer is look with me, can you look with me uh, down at verse 6? These are the witnesses, a description of the witnesses. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Who's that talking about? Who do you know as a prophet said, I'm shutting the sky up and rain won't fall? It's Elijah. If, if you don't remember your Old Testament story, it's Elijah that told Ahab, you rebelled against God for three, for th- three and a half years. We'll come to that and you will not get any rain. Okay, carrying on. They have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. Well, you know who that's talking about because we talked about it last Sunday. That's Moses. So you have these two characters. These two witnesses are like Elijah and Moses in their ministry. Now, what's interesting here is that Moses also... His ministry, well, I'll just say this. If you go to Numbers 33, it outlines how many encampments the Israelites led by Moses in the wilderness had. And that number is 42. They encamped 42 separate times in in Numbers 33. If you think about Elijah's proclamation that there will be no rain, we know that that's three and a half months. Jesus himself says that in Luke chapter 4. He says, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up. Three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. So here's Moses and Elijah, whose ministry both involved this number 42, whose ministry both involved God delivering his people through suffering up against a pagan king who was determined to destroy Moses and the Israelites or Elijah and the 7,000 prophets who were faithful to the Lord the pagan king was determined to destroy those. God had them both go through tribulation but delivered them out the backside of that and establish them. Now, this is what's going on in Revelation is that the forces of the enemy are attacking God's people but for three and a half years that witness will be going on, the suffering will be going on and at the end of that there will be um, exaltation. Again, it's super highly, so, so who is this? It's Moses and Elijah but let me just uh, say this real quick. It's also, the way that they're described in, all right, Harry and Kate, I'm gonna have to decide how much of this to do. I'm gonna give you one little bit of this and then we're gonna do, uh, I think I've got like five more points on this. We'll do that in adult Bible study afterwards. Right now, let me just give you one. In verse four, these witnesses are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Well, who are the lampstands? Because you have to remember, if you were here for the Revelation 1 sermon and the Revelation 2 and 3 sermon sermons, Who are the lampstands that stand before the Lord? It's the churches. The churches are specifically described in Revelation 1, 2, and 3 as lampstands. Well, that's what's going on here. I know Moses and Elijah are the figures that's there. We'll talk in a second about why Moses and Elijah. But this is actually the churches that are being called to witness faithfully to Jesus and to suffer for Jesus as well. More on that in a second as well. So Moses and Elijah are the lampstands. Why these two? Well, there's a couple different ways we could look at it. One is um, Moses and Elijah. Well, you need two witnesses. If, if, if 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 what they're doing is witnessing, you need two witnesses in order to establish anything legally in a court of law, according to the Old Testament. You also have Moses and Elijah representing the law and the prophets. It's too bad, isn't it, that this reading didn't happen next Sunday, which is the Transfiguration Sunday, Because there too, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is accompanied by Moses and Elijah. These two figures representing uh, law and the prophets. Faithful witness uh, to to, to Jesus. Um, That's probably what's going on here. But, so, so more on that later. Meet me downstairs to talk about how this is the church. Right now, let me just make the point that the church is called to bear witness. The church will undergo tribulation. Three and a half years of suffering. What does that mean? Well, it's the same, the, the, the witness and the suffering go together, all right? But it's limited. It's a short amount of time. It's not permanent. Seven is kind of the number of completeness in Revelation and the rest of the Bible. Three and a half says this the church will undergo suffering, but it will not be maximum tribulation. It will not be ultimate suffering. I don't, whatever that means, there will be ebbs and flows to it. I know as, a, as an American, I don't really undergo a lot of suffering, although there are Christians all over the world right now who are undergoing massive amounts of suffering. It's, its time is limited. It is not permanent. It's not gonna last forever. But the church is going to bear witness during the suffering. Okay, the church also has great power. Verses four and five, uh, we talk about this. If any, let's look at verse five. If anyone would harm them, the two witnesses, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. Okay, so the church has the power of her witness. By witnessing to the gospel of Jesus Christ, The church wields a maximum amount of power. It's power of life and death. The church has the authority over who lives and who dies. Not that the church would ever go and kill anybody, but just by announcing faith in Jesus Christ saves, rejection of Jesus Christ damns. The church has the keys to heaven and hell. That's an immense amount of authority. The fact that we don't have to wave them around with an army or with a knife or with political power or with cultural influence is a sign of just how powerful it is. It doesn't need all those fake trappings of power. The power of the witness of Jesus Christ feels like weakness, but it's actually immense power. It's also the power of announcing the plagues. We read about in verse six, where uh, the witnesses have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Now, I'm, I'm just briefly, because I talked about this last week. The church has the authority, the responsibility, in fact, to say that the bad things that are going wrong with the world are a sign that things are broken, that God is judging the world, but that he promises to save the world if people repent in Jesus. The church has a responsibility to say that. If we, if if COVID happens and we the church just say, wow, that was weird, usually don't get a big old sickness like that coming through, and that's all we say about it, we've not done our calling. If we don't at one point say, along with G.K. Chesterton, I caused COVID, my rebellion against God caused COVID. I need to repent. We all need to repent. COVID is a reminder that Jesus holds in his hands the keys of death and hell, and we must repent. It doesn't, that's not a path to getting saved from COVID. It's, people die of COVID, whether the, so believers died of COVID, unbelievers died of COVID. What it is, though, is it's a path towards recognizing God's sovereignty and being pointed back towards the fact that Jesus is Lord of the whole universe, whether it's good stuff or bad stuff. And he's using these things to bring us to himself. And then finally, the church has the great power of announcing Jesus' reign, like at the transfiguration. Okay, that's the witness of the church. We're called the faithfully witness to Jesus' gospel and to the fact that he's the Lord of the universe, both the plagues and the salvation. The suffering of the church, verses seven through 10. Let me read this out loud to us. And when they have finished their testimony, the two witnesses, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, we're gonna meet him in chapters 12 through 14 next week will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. Uh, We'll meet that place next week. It's actually, it's not where you think it is. For three and a half days, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at the dead bodies of the two witnesses and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Part of the church's witness is that the church will suffer. The church is witnessing to a radical, subversive, new, infinite source of power. And that means that all the fake sources of power in the world, all the sources of power that want control and use money, sex, and power to get what they want are going to attack the Christian church and attack you if you try to subvert their claims to power. It's just inevitable. It's always happened. It always will happen. And that's what's going on in verses seven through 10. The church will suffer because of her witness to Jesus. Not all Christians will die for their faith. The two witnesses dying doesn't mean that all Christians die for their faith, but many will and all will be humiliated for their faith. This is the, the whole thing about them, their bodies being laid in the street and not buried. That's, it's, we don't even think about that. But in the ancient world, to be buried, so there's a scene at the end of, oh, Harry's gonna have to help me here. There's a scene at the end of um, the Iliad where uh, somebody is killed, Hector's son is killed and captured by the Achaean army who then drag his dead body around in a chariot for display. And the, and the, the foreign king goes out at night and sneaks through the enemy lines to go to the king and say, you can kill me right now, but I have to come here and beg you for my son's body back. What you're doing is wrong. And the Achaean king says, you're right, I shouldn't have done that, and gives him his, because to not be buried is shameful, it's humiliating. And that's what Revelation is saying here, is that you will be killed, or at least shamed and humiliated for your witness to Jesus. And I don't know how else to say that, except we just have to buy into that. We American Christians are so soft. We so desperately want to envision a world where everybody thinks we're cool because we're Christians. That world does not exist. As long as Jesus is claiming that he has true authority over the political powers of the world, over the entertainment powers of the world, over the cultural powers of the world, over the economic powers of the world, we are gonna be attacked, we are gonna be humiliated. And you see this happening in your life. Jesus promised it was gonna happen to us. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus says. It's going to happen, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Look, there were many more martyrs, in and you guys have heard this stat before. It's not really a stat either because there's no, no numbers in it. There were more martyrs in the 20th century than in the f- Christian martyrs than in the 1st through 19th centuries combined. More people, were ki- more people were killed by their faith. It's just you can't even, it, it, it's staggering that the number of them. And some of them are famous. You know, the Dietrich Bonhoeffers. Uh, we talked in adult Bible study last week uh, about Sophie Scholl, a young teenage German girl who was executed by the Nazis for her faith. She said this is a Christian thing. She's a young Catholic girl. For her faith. This is about Jesus, she said, uh, when she was arrested. Um, to to, to any, any number of these, there's, there's tons of them. Uh, Christians in Iran, Christians in China, Christians in Africa who were executed for their faith. Just a couple months ago, I read a story about two Catholic priests, two Jesuit priests Who were executed, who who were murdered execution style in their church in Mexico? This happened just a couple months ago, because they had dared to speak out against the drug cartels. This is what's happening. If you, if you, in the name of the gospel of Jesus Christ, say there's an ultimate power, and that ultimate power stands against your false claims to power, drug cartels, your willingness to use drugs in order to get power and money for yourself, you are going to be attacked. (laughs) And and the bigger the enemy, the stronger the attack. All all of you have experienced humiliation or ridicule. I I, I know that many of you have, you've, you've worn your Christianity out loud on social media and have been ridiculed on social media. This is just par for the course. This is just standard. Anybody who says money, sex, and power aren't the key to success and happiness and fulfillment. Jesus of Nazareth is the Lord of the universe and he can rescue the world. Anybody who says that, is an idiot, is, you're, the way the 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 world always looks at countercultural subversives is, we don't need you weirdos around here like that. You are, you are going to be marginalized. Many have lost jobs or job opportunities because of their witness. I knew a guy at Good Shepherd who was a CFO for a large corporation in St. Louis, and he was told, you have to lie, and to keep your job, this is what, this is what your job entails, is telling this specific lie, and he said, I can't do it. And they said, well, you have to decide. You're going to lie or you're going to lose your job. And he lost his job for the name of Jesus. I don't think he would describe himself as, I mean, he got a different job. But this is what's going on, is this marginalization. We try to avoid that. And I'm not saying you should embrace marginalization or embrace humiliation. Least of all, should you embrace death. But we shouldn't be scared when it happens because it's part of the story. It's what happens to the two witnesses. The suffering of the church is guaranteed, but verse eleven. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, "Come up here." And they went up to heaven, saying, "And they went up to heaven in a cloud." And their enemies watched them. This is extremely temporary. Look, the persecution is temporary; it's only three and a half years. That's doable. The death is even more temporary. Uh, where does it say this? Hold on, I miss my spot here. Um, uh, verse. Somebody help me out here. Eleven after the three and a half days. A breath of life from God entered them. Thank you, those of you who have prepared for this sermon better than I have. Uh, Three and a half days. So the suffering is temporary three and a half years. The actual consequences of the suffering, the death, the humiliation, the marginalization, that's even more temporary. It's only three and a half days before they are vindicated and they experience victory. Now, I'm going to move on to the victory here, and then we'll be done. The suffering goes right along with it. It's not like suffering happens and then... Well, now let's get on to the good stuff. Forget the suffering, let's get to victory. They go hand in hand. The victory happens because of the suffering, and you'll see why here as we get into the story. First of all, three parts to the victory of the church, the success of the church in Revelation 11. Vindication and power. They're raised from the dead in verse 12. Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. Okay, this is not about them going to heaven when they died. They didn't die, and their souls go to heaven. Their bodies were raised, And in the Bible, I'm going to ask you to remember uh, back into our Revelation 4 and 5 section. What does it mean, what does it mean to be called to approach the Almighty on the clouds? Well, it's a Daniel 7 thing. You're going to have to go back and read Daniel 7 if you want to understand this verse. Do it later. We read it in church together uh, a few weeks ago. The one like a son of man is brought to the Almighty Day, the, 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 the Ancient of Days, on the clouds, and to the Son of Man is given maximum authority. He is now the King of the universe, the King of all the nations and tribes of the world, and all the other kingdoms are destroyed and held underneath his feet. Well, that's what's going on here. These two witnesses are given that same authority the authority of the resurrected Christ, the authority over the whole world. They suffer, they die, and what's given them is resurrection to be in charge of the entire world. Jesus said, We, we, we read the, uh, um, the uh, Beatitudes last week. The meek will inherit the earth. Jesus meant that literally. Those who suffer and die for the sake of the gospel, everything will belong to them eventually. The world will belong to them eventually. Even now in a certain sense, but definitely explicitly eventually. So, vindication and power. Second, because of the suffering, God will reveal his eternal kingdom. Now, this is the seventh trumpet in verses 15 through 19. I don't want to read the whole thing again. The trumpet blows And then this announcement's made. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you've taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but we read this in Psalm 2, right? The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. God's people are vindicated because Jesus the Messiah, his reign will be made explicit on the last day. And those of you who are connected to Jesus, You will share in that reign. You will rule and reign over the entire universe as well. That's the second thing. Third thing, and then we're done. Massive evangelistic success. Look, I have to say this. I want to say this this out loud. One of the ways that you can talk about the church suffering is kind of a woe is me. Like the church is suffering, and man, that's just miserable. Someday, hopefully, we get through it, and there will be like everlasting happiness. What Revelation tells us is this. The first six trumpets are true. God is judging the world. Part of that is that his people are going to experience death and humiliation at the hands of the unbelievers. The payout, though, is not just their vindication. It's not just a revelation of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's also the salvation of the world. I want you to listen super closely to this, okay? The, the world is against Jesus and his people, but look what happens because the witnesses witness and because the prophets prophesy, because the Christians suffer. Look, look what happens, verse, 19, verse uh, 13. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake. Okay, here's the judgment after the the witnesses are raised from the dead. Look what happens though. And a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Okay, so what did you expect to happen? God is vindicated. His people are vindicated and all the bad guys get blown up, right? That's not what happens. There's a huge earthquake and one-tenth, just one-tenth of the city falls and the rest of them, nine-tenths of them, are terrified and give glory to the God of heaven. Nine-tenths of them are converted. Look, the witness of the saints in suffering and in persecution does what the plagues from the first six trumpets couldn't do. Actually wins the day. Calls people to faith. People, begin, people become believing in Jesus and bowing the knee to Christ in mass because of the faithful witness, because of the death and suffering of the Christian church. One more way to look at it is he says, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. So thinking about Elijah, who's one of the witnesses, right? Remember what Elijah said? He says, God, I'm all alone and nobody else is with me. And God says, there's actually 7,000 people left in in Israel. There are 7,000 people who won't bow the knee. 7,000 out of the whole mass of Israel. Well, now the numbers are are, are, are reversed. On the last day, it will just be 7,000 who don't believe in Jesus. And the rest of them will and will be converted and will give glory to God. Now, this this, this is the question. Suffering is scary. Being marginalized is scary. Being a Christian out loud in the culture, there are prices to pay. This is what Revelation says. Let me ask you the question. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to see the world, our culture, in mass converted to Jesus? Do we want to see nine-tenths of Glen Carbon become Christian? Do we want to see that? How does it happen? It will only happen if they see the crucified Jesus. And they will only see the crucified Jesus if they see God's people wearing that crucifixion wearing that crucifixion like their clothing. It will only happen if we suffer in the name of Jesus, if we bear faithful witness, if we are marginalized with faithfulness and love for them. If we do, though, Christ will be evident. If we are cool and relevant and we get political power and we're in charge, what does the world see? They see a new political party or they say a new way, a different way to be cool and relevant. But if we are caring about in our bodies all day long, like Paul says in 2 Corinthians, the sufferings of our Savior, cool things are gonna happen. People are gonna be converted. The kingdom is going to come, and when the kingdom comes, we mean that these humans that Jesus died for are in mass going to turn to him. That's the problem of Revelation 11. Let's embrace it. You are not suffering meaninglessly. You are suffering for the sake of those around you. Someday, there are people who mock you. There are people who maybe even kill you who will someday come up to you and say, thank you for being faithful. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because of you. I was rescued because of your faithful witness. That's what's going on in Revelation 11. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. Give us the power to be these two witnesses. Give us the power to faithfully proclaim your kingdom, Jesus, to a culture that does not want you but desperately needs you, to a culture that does not want you but will want you. Help us be the catalyst. Lord, we know it's you doing it. We know that you You, Jesus, crucified and risen and ascended to the one who's accomplishing this. But let us be your witnesses. Let us tell people about it. Let us be the tools that you use to bring this about in Glen Carbon and in Edwardsville, Maryville, all the regions around here. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. Amen. The And your feet being your body here in Glen Carbon. Give us faith. I, I guess I, I could pray for courage, but that seems backwards, Lord. Give us love. Help us to love you more than we love our own comfort. Help us to love our neighbors and our, our family and our friends and our kids and our parents. Help us to love. Help us to love all these other people more than we love our own comfort. Help us to be willing to speak truth, knowing that it's your truth that saves. And that by speaking your truth out loud, by being faithful to witness to your truth, your Holy Spirit will rescue those whom you've called to yourself and will give you the praise for it. Father, save the nine-tenths. Do it here in Glencarven. We pray that you would do it for your own glory, but we also want to see it and take and be able to rejoice in it. Lord, in your mercy. Father, thank you for the ministries that you've called our church to, and of course, especially for the Ministry of Word, not just the people who teach, and me and Pastor Lang preaching, but also Father for the way that we all speak Your Word, speak Your truth out loud, speak the gospel in our in our context. And thank you for the people who support that ministry and who participate in it by uh, building us up and taking care of us. And we pray especially this morning that You would bless and and guide the property team and um, Tim Schnicker, uh, who leads them, that You would give them wisdom. And that you would give them confidence that what they're doing is bringing glory to you. Uh, like the Levites serving the ministry of word and sacrament in the tabernacle in the temple. Father, they serve you in, in, in a similar way. And we pray that you would bless them for it. We also pray for our, our missions. The, the missions that we support and are involved in. and Especially this morning, thank you and praise you for Unity Lutheran School and the ministry that you have there uh, in East St. Louis. and We pray that your word would go out in that community, and that young men and women would be raised up to know you, and to love you, and to serve you, and that uh, your name would be glorified as your kingdom expands all over our region. Lord, in your mercy. And we pray this morning for all who are suffering and who desperately need you right now, Lord, those who feel their relationships breaking apart and fraying beyond their control, those who feel their finances spinning out of control, those who have shame that they can't shake, nagging guilt over things that they've said or done or thought that they can't shake, bodily pain that there's no solution for, that no doctor's visits or treatment is able to take care of, oh, worry for, uh, worry about death and mourning over those who've passed that uh, just sits in our stomachs like a sick weight. And I pray that you would bless all who are struggling with this this morning. And I pray especially that you would um, bless the family of Florine Hall, uh, Cheryl Anderson's mom who passed away yesterday, and that uh, we give thanks to you, Lord, for her life and her faithful witness to you. And we pray that you would um, uh, bless and care for her soul while her body rests in the ground. And that you would return soon, Jesus, and reunite her soul and body and raise all of us up to newness of righteousness. And I pray that you be with Cheryl and the rest of the family too as they mourn and grieve the loss of Florine and that you would give them the hope of the resurrection. Lord, in your mercy. We can only pray these things because you are a good God and because you have decided to join up heaven and earth. And you have decided that here on this little chunk of territory in Glen Carbon, Your people can be called to actually meet with your son, Jesus, in your throne room. And so we gather around your throne with all of the elders and all of the saints and all of the angels praising and worshiping you this morning, even as our feet are firmly planted here in Glen Carbon. That's something that can only happen by your grace, Father, and by the gift of your spirit and by the union that you've given us with your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you. O oh Lord, Holy Father, almighty and everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us in all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh, And laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally. Because he's now risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity, all who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we loud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest blessed is he that comes in the name of the lord glory to you o lord in the highest and now let's pray in jesus' name the prayer that he gave us our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Jesus, Lamb of God, have mercy on us. Jesus, bearer of our sins, have mercy on us. Jesus, Redeemer of the world, grant us peace. Amen. You may be seated.
3: My oh. oh.
0: And now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, strengthen you and preserve you and keep you in the one true faith to life everlasting, depart in Christ's peace. Amen. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, to be a light to lighten the Gentiles and to be the glory of your people Israel, Bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto, unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. Can I tell you one quick thing before we go? And I, I just tried to end the sermon quickly, but do you, that, that, that whole business about us suffering in and through Jesus and it actually working is real. Do, do, I, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm, I'm alive, but I'm a Christian because Angela decided when I was running from Jesus and from her that she would suffer and just be a faithful witness to me. And her carrying the sin that I was causing on her own shoulders is actually what won me back to Jesus. It actually works. This is the, when we see the suffering Christ, we're drawn to salvation. And if people can see the suffering Christ in us, they'll be drawn to that as well. All right, go in peace.